I'm not so much a high-functioning alcoholic as I am a low-functioning social drinker. Everyone has a different tolerance for alcohol, and mine is painfully low. You could have two drinks and operate a forklift, and when I have two drinks, I can't lift my fork. It's something I had to come to terms with in my 30s. Shut her down. Last call. Tabs closed. That's what I want to talk to you about today. Um, chapter 11 of my book is called Overthinking and Drinking, Zero Tolerance. So in between vlogs, I'm going to occasionally read to you just a chapter from the book, Overthinking in Your Underwear, now on Amazon. Um, and so this is one of my favorites. It's um, a little more serious, um, talking about the subject of drinking and finding our limits I know it's something that we all struggle with, or maybe not we all. I know it's something I struggled with um, for, I mean, forever. From the minute that I started, you know, having a drink, I knew it, was, it wasn't something I could handle. I knew my tolerance was different than my friends. When I was 23, I actually, this isn't part of the book, part of the chapter, I'm just chatting. When I was 23, I actually tripped up the stairs, up the stairs, and chipped my two front teeth, um, was like spitting out fragments of my teeth. My boyfriend at the time was standing there kind of looking at me in horror, like, who is this person I'm dating? I think he was pretty drunk at the time too, so uh, we just kind of dealt with it. And then the next morning I had like an emergency dentist visit and they bonded my teeth. Um, You think that would be enough to to call it quits, but you know, you're at the time, I mean, 23 and drinking was such a part of everything we did. You know, every outing we had, every happy hour I was in advertising, I'm still in advertising. And it was so laced into the advertising industry at the time. I mean, there was beer on tap, there was beer starting at three o'clock during the day, every advertising event had, had, um, alcohol at it. And then just in our social lives, there was so much alcohol. So, you know, calling it quits at the time was just, didn't even seem like an option. I didn't know how to be social and drink. So way back then that wasn't, I didn't put on the brakes. And so for years I struggled with how do I drink and stay within my limits? Cause if I drank, I usually blacked out and it, it was not a good feeling. And so um, in this chapter, I talk about kind of coming to terms with that and finding a, a normal for me, which is, is pretty sober. Um, so let me just read to you a little bit from this chapter and we'll, we'll talk a little bit more. So in high school, I have a swig here, a swig here or a beer there, but I don't do any heavyweight drinking until college. For an, intro, for an introvert who's more comfortable with books than bars, alcohol is the antidote for a new spirit of social interactions. Pre-party shots roll into late night after bars and you float on the fumes of Finlandia until morning. I often drink at whatever pace the night or my friend group demands. My hangovers are wicked and the blackouts worse. Limits are never learned and I carry that behavior with me as a graduation gift. Out of college, I don't drink as often. But when I do, my poor tolerance surges back like a recently tapped keg. After a handful of drinks, I struggle to remember the night before. And the following day, following day, I puzzle together memories like Guy Pierce with a stack of Polaroids. It's terrifying, shameful, and embarrassing, even if nothing of note happens. But one night, something does. I'm living in New York, enjoying a typical night out with friends. Cheers, drink, slur, repeat. I wake up the next morning with a gaping hole where half the night should live. 
The last thing I remember, the sun has only started to dim, but my faculties are out like a light. After that, it's only pieces and pictures. The face of a man I don't know leaning over me. The flare of a flashlight passing over my eyes like the headlights, like the headlights on a highway. And pitch granite blackness. That was it. I can't recall anything else. I speak to a friend who was with me the night before, and she assures me all is well. It was a fun, boozy night, and I left the group to look for a cab as the night ended. Now I'm home safe, and I shouldn't overthink it. A few days later, my anxiety hangover begins to wane, and I return to my apartment with an armful of groceries. As I head inside, a neighbor stops me. She's a young woman in her 20s who frequently sits outside smoking on our stoop. Before today, we've never exchanged more than a cordial head nod. Are you okay? My neighbor asks. Oh, hi. Um, yeah, why? I reply. You don't remember, do you? She says. Nothing rushes back to me, but I know she's about to tell me something I don't want to hear. You were pretty out of it the other night, my neighbor says, stomping her cigarette into the pavement. I came outside to smoke and you were passed out in a cab. Driver was trying to wake you up. Flashlight in the eye. Whole thing, she continues. I look at my face. I showed him where you lived. We carried you to your apartment, she says. I mumble thank you, or maybe I'm sorry. If I'm being honest, I don't know what I said. I may have laughed it off as I hurried inside. If you're trying to add up those events like I did, it may have unraveled like this. I left my friends and got in a cab. I gave the driver my cross streets and passed out after telling, after telling him my life story and texting two to three ex-boyfriends. When we pulled up to my address, he turned around to find a girl TKO'd without a fight. Everything he has to deal with in a day, traffic, rude passengers, city tumult, and this. This is how he ends his night? I know. I hated myself too. But more than that, I hated how little I cared to put myself in a position where maximum bodily harm could have found me. That night it didn't. That night, a few kind people went out of their way to make sure a girl they didn't know got home safely. A few weeks later, I saw my therapist and exclaimed, I'm obviously not an alcoholic, before launching into current events. After listening attentively to this story and other mishaps over the years, she said gently, you can have a problem with alcohol without being an alcoholic. That hit like a straight up, straight up martini on a lunch of baked lays. Textbook definitions, online quizzes, and Meg Ryan in her only dramatic role of the 90s assured me I didn't have a problem. I never drank alone. I'd go weeks without a sip. I didn't even like the taste. But realizing alcohol may not suit your life, your personality, and become problematic, that was an odd of the freaking ha for me. I took a hard look in the mirror and a glance at my drinking past. The reality is, I wasn't in control. I'd begin a night out thinking, well, anything can happen. That's a fun motto for Mardi Gras, but not so much for a Tuesday work dinner. I cataloged all the times I nuked relationships or acted in a way that tanked my self-worth, and without fail, alcohol was at the helm. There I was, fighting against the current to win the self-love game, yet, re yet, removing to re yet refusing to remove the one thing kept, that kept pulling me under like that girl in the first scene of Jaws. I wish I could tell you I never drank again, but that's not too true. I didn't drink for a long time, and a few years later, I made a deal with myself to only drink on special occasions and in situations I felt safe. Even then, I had to trust that one drink wouldn't morph into six and I wouldn't wake up with a flashlight in my face. Choosing to be on the sober side of things is physically gratifying and socially interesting. On a rare occasion, I have a drink, but on the whole, I choose to live without alcohol. There's a word for it now. They call it sober curious, which sounds like something everyone tries just once in college. For me, it's the right choice. I don't want the fog of the night before rolling in the next morning like the beginning of a Dateline special. The aches of too much alcohol are pains I can live without. The hard part is the beginning. 
At first, your friends won't understand your new way of being. In time, it becomes a known fact. Oh, she doesn't drink, they say to the waiter before he can even hand over the wine list. It goes without mentioning after a while and you don't have to explain it. But at first you do. You have to tell every person you ever happied your hour with that things are different now. You have to say, I'm just not drinking tonight, or I have a big meeting tomorrow, or lie, I had too much last night. It's bizarre, right? We invent excuses for why we choose a healthier lifestyle because the ritual of drinking is held as hero in our culture. I don't go through the theatrics anymore. I say, I'm not much of a drinker and leave it at that without further explanation. No excuses necessary. I beat myself up for a long time about the way I acted with my drinking, but I needed to own it, accept it, and forgive myself. In the beginning, I took time each month to reflect on how far I'd come. Wow, I just drank Diet Coke during a four-hour happy hour and actually had fun. I chose to be proud of my progress rather than looking back and shrinking small into into regret. You can't practice self-love and overflow your self-worth until you forgive yourself and stop replaying mistakes from your past. Over the years, there were habits I aimed to quit. Drinking, bad relationship, patterns, not showing up for others. I lied aloud saying, oh, it was just a bad night, or I'll do better next time. I'd make a promise to the person in the mirror and break it like a glow stick at a rave. Afterward, I not only carried the consequence of my actions, but every stumble sliced at my self-worth. The trust you build with yourself is more meaningful than any other relationship. Whether you're preaching to the choir or mumbling to your inner monologue, your words have weight. You... If you decide to quit a behavior or begin a routine, follow through for you. Behave in a way that's consistent and show up for yourself before anyone else. If you wake up on the wrong side of a night, it can feel like you'll never be right again. Focus on the next step to help take positive action without becoming overwhelmed with the marathon of decisions in front of you. In the drinking example, maybe the next step is a bit of exercise to make you feel better. Focus on that step and that step only. No overthinking. The next step after that is eating something healthy. And the next step after that is a good night's sleep because your body needs it. If you find it helpful, write the five steps you need to address for that week. Focus on your five-step list. No overthinking beyond that. Tackle your five-step list for as many weeks as you need. Little by little, these small steps lead to higher ground where you can handle larger, larger decisions and bigger life changes. Recently, I shared this chapter with a friend and she shook her head saying, I had a night almost exactly like that when I was younger. My story is more ordinary than outrageous, and that's what we need to overthink. We assume unnatural postures under the premise of having a good time, chasing the guy, or being the life of the party. Alcoholic or problem drinker, sober or pseudo-sober. The label doesn't matter. I was recklessly toying with common sense, and as women, we don't have the luxury to be this careless. It's up to us to know our limits, mama bear our well-being, and tuck ourselves in at the end of the night. So I really love this chapter and um, I hope you enjoyed it. And whatever side you are on drinking, whether you have a great relationship with drinking and you feel like you can handle a few drinks a night or it's something that um, you feel like you need to overthink a little bit in your life, I hope these exercises were helpful for you. Um, Thanks so much for listening this week.